yeah it was it was a struggle and i ended up having to like steal my gear from them it was really weird but like i had to go to the practice space like when everybody was asleep oh and take all my stuff just because it was so weird when i left like go in the middle of the night and take it back and they were like you took our stuff and i'm like no i took my <laughs> stuff yeah exactly <laughs> Welcome to Live Life Creative, helping you break through your barriers to being more creative. I'm Dylan Kreinbrink. Thanks for spending some time with me today. My guest, Cameron Whitman, photographer specializing in food, stock, and event photography. Now, if you've ever dismissed stock photography as being hokey and dumb, well, you're mostly right. But Cameron has a unique and artistic perspective on what stock photography can be. You'll learn a lot about how something you may think is extremely dull has so much creative potential. So learn not to prejudge and instead find beauty in everything. And hey, you can follow me and the podcast on Instagram at Live Life Creative Podcast or search Live Life Creative Podcast on Facebook as well. The show notes and links that we mentioned can be found on the website, livelifecreativepodcast.xyz and just tap on episodes there in the menu. Now you can find the full version of this episode on Patreon and I'm working on putting up the full back catalog on Patreon as well. Even a dollar or two a month will make you a co-creator and it's going to give you access to previous episodes that have fallen off the public podcast feed. There are a few curse words in this episode, so if you have little ears around, you know, maybe this is one for the headphones. Okay, let's go with Cameron. So I know that you were in a band before you started photography. Yeah, yeah. I um, I grew up playing music. My whole family was all uh, musicians, and so it was just kind of like a, a thing that we all did. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I started playing in bands well, I guess it was during high school, the very end of high school. And, um, you know, I, I, I failed a lot. <laughs> I failed my way from uh, Salt Lake City to Washington, D.C. Failed even harder for the first couple of years. I uh, played in some bands that I didn't even like. I was struggling to find a community. Mm. I didn't move directly to D.C. I moved to Virginia and I was in the suburbs and just kind of kicking around and I ended up goofing off in some like rap rock thing that I hated. Wow. And, you know, but it was the only people I knew and, you know, like I worked with them. And so, um, yeah, it was, it was a struggle. And I ended up having to like steal my gear from them. It was really weird, but like I had to go to the practice space, like while everybody was asleep oh. and take all my stuff just because it was so weird when I left like go in the middle of the night and take it back and they were like you took our stuff and i'm like no i took <laughs> <Okay>. my stuff <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> we're, we're okay now everything's fine that's good finally after after a couple of years of really struggling um you know, I, I read a, an, an ad and found this this band called durian <laughs> okay which is such a silly name but it was weird weird I guess I was like the final piece okay. to, to put it together. They'd actually recorded before I joined as well, um, but they never did anything with it. It was just like a recording that they had yeah. that they were shipping out as demos to get shows and stuff. I think that we, I was in that band for maybe four years and we recorded uh, a seven inch and, and a full length record and we toured a lot, toured half of the country and it was a, it was a really cool experience. Eventually I, I realized that uh, I wasn't going anywhere with it. So I had to, to stop. So then how did that lead you into, like you're in this band, how did that get you into taking photos though? Because that's how I primarily know you. I ended up quitting the band and um, I was the one to do it and it ended up being what broke the band up. And, oh, you know, I felt a little bit guilty about it, but you know, most of all, I just felt like my life wasn't going anywhere and I was really depressed and mm. feeling unfortunate about all of it. And it was right around Christmas time. My brother and I would always go to my mom's house and, and, you know, we'd hang out for Christmas and she had just started dating this guy and he made more money than, than we were used to seeing, I guess. And, uh, he bought her, you know, whatever the current top of the line SLR film camera was at that time, wow. just because, you know, that's just what he did. Mm. You know, that's how he showed affection with money. Yeah. <laughs> Classic guy. <laughs> <laughs> I started playing with it and, um, I was in a really serious funk, man. I was mm. like so depressed and like this camera all of a sudden just clicked something and I was like, shit, you know? And, um, the thing was, is that, um, since I'd stopped playing music and it was probably like a couple months, all of a sudden I had money, 
I was, you know, I was a bartender, you know, so I'd made decent money, but I'd always have to save it up because then I would be gone for two or three months. Oh, that and, long? You know, oh. Yeah. So, well, or maybe not two or three, but I mean, there were times where we would be like, okay, so let's, you know, take two weeks off before the tour and make sure that like we're rehearsed and ready to go. Mm-hmm. So everybody else was like trust fund kids, except for me. Yeah. They were like, they were like, let's just do this. And I was just like, Oh, that's hard for me. Yeah. As soon as, you know, I got back from their house after Christmas, I went and bought my first SLR, which is a Nikon N65. I think the thing was made out of plastic. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. And I realized pretty quickly that I didn't know anything. It was right around then that I guess the the new semester was starting at the local community college, and a guy that that I worked with in the restaurant was like, "Go take a class at the community college." Okay, and I was like, "Yeah, okay," and he, and and he was like, "Actually, I'll take it with you." <laughs> oh, and I was like, "Sweet!" So we took that class, and okay. yeah, that was it. I uh, I decided I was gonna get a an associate's degree at the community college of photography. Hey, cool man. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just like I had nothing else going on. Sure. You know what I mean? So I was like, I'm gonna just dive in, yeah. and that's that was it, man. I just never looked back. I I dove in hard, and within I think within three months, I started investing in in darkroom equipment. And oh wow, so that was part of what you'd learned at the community yeah, college. Yeah, so I was learning that mm-hmm. simultaneously. You know, like I actually kind of jumped ahead of most of the class, uh, which wasn't hard to do. I mean, most of the people in there were just kind of like. They, they didn't, they weren't like obsessed, mm-hmm. you know, they were, they were mostly kids and they were just looking for, it was mostly an elective or, you know, something just like a random passing thing for most people. Yeah. And I was, you know, I was very, I just jumped all the way in right, and yeah. the professors recognized that and they were like crazy supportive. I'm, I'm actually, I still, I'm still friends with, with one of them today and I go back and speak to her photography business class every year. Oh, that's really cool. At the at the college, yeah. So she she brings me in every year, and I just go and talk to the kids and, mm-hmm. and give them you know thoughts about how you can develop your career and like yeah. what could come of it. And I you know I think my favorite part of that of that story is that I you know like I like I said I started at twenty seven. That's a that's you know for a photographer I think that's really late in my experience, especially as an editor. You know, I find that most of the people that, that excite me are usually between the ages of 21 and 28, I guess. Mm, okay. And then much older people that, that have already experienced almost their entire lives and kind of come out the other end yeah. with some crazy wisdom and amazing consistency and skill. A lot of the people in between, they're you know, they're people like who I am now. Essentially, they're, they're trying to, to feed their kids and pay their bills. Yeah. You know? And so it's not always exciting. Sometimes it's it's functional, you know? Yeah. That's something that I've, I don't have kids yet, but just like being able to pay for a house, you know, buy food, stuff like that's like, got to do what you got to do sometimes rather than what you want to do. That's right. Yeah. Life is compromised. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. All the way through. Right. Yeah. I mostly know you as a stock and event photographer and comparing that to like being in a band, like it seems like mm-hmm. there's two very different kind of career paths because um, at least the general impression for like stock is it's kind of corporate, you know, mm-hmm. in event photography, at least if you leave aside weddings, event photography is kind of like, oh, here's a fundraising dinner and here's an awards mm-hmm. dinner or whatever. Like it seems very different from being in a band. So how do you feel about having like a, such a musical background, like a background in art and then going, are you asking me if I sold out? <laughs> <laughs> is it sold out no. or being able to buy food? Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that is, that is what we would have called it when I was in a band. Like I'm going to go sell out and yeah, there, there are times that it sucks, but I mean, I also worked in restaurants for, you know, 15 plus years and that sucked a lot worse. You know, so, I mean, I think that there's a lot of compromises. There's definitely moments where what I do as a photographer clashes with what people from that time period thought that I would have done. Mm. And, you know, there aren't even people who voiced disappointment because they're like, dude, what are you doing? Yeah. You know, and I'm just like, I'm, I'm trying to pay, you know, get, get ahead in life. Yeah. You know, that's all, <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm just trying to make some money. But with event photography, you know, I, I think that there, there's a lot of places where event photography would be horrible and boring and just really drab. I'm pretty privileged because the, the clients that I get to work for are, you know, there's, it's fairly exciting. Okay. I work primarily uh, as an event photographer in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of high profile things that I get to do. I and it's, I find it to be interesting. 
when you live in DC for 20 years, like there's no way that you're not going to get sucked into politics in some mm-hmm. way or another. You can try to keep it, you know, somewhat away from all of your personal everything, mm-hmm. but you're really not going to go anywhere and, and not have it brush up against you in one way or another. So that being the case, you know, I, I get to go and, and shoot events and discussions that are, that are fascinating and they have people that are important and people that are evil and people yeah. that are amazing. And, um, I think that's, it's an, it's kind of a privilege. Yeah. I think that I get to go and, and photograph these, these situations. And, you know, it's even better because I feel like those situations are highly curated, you know, like the, the people that I, that I work for generally only call me when it's something that's important, mm-hmm. you know, so I'm not usually doing that many, you know, humdrum boring fundraisers and stuff like that yeah. it's it's usually much more interesting than that so yeah i i stay i guess in, interested in it um as i go but there's also a there's a there's a side connection <laughs> uh, and it has to do with stock so like okay. when i'm shooting events you know like uh, a lot of what i do uh in, with freelance and stock has to do with food and beverage mm-hmm. um and when you're shooting events, there's a lot of opportunities to get stock photos of oh, yeah. food and beverage in, in a different context yeah. than, than what you would do at home or even what you'd be able to do at home. Yeah. You know, it might be fancy. It might be, you know, like might just be like something that's really high end that you just wouldn't have the opportunity to shoot anywhere else. You know, maybe they're like these wild hors d'oeuvres made by, you know, the best catering company in the, in the city, mm-hmm. you know, held by a, an arm that's clearly in a tuxedo, right? Yeah. You get a nice tight shot of that and it's, you know, could be pretty valuable as a stock photo. Yeah. And you can also make it beautiful, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I try to, um, my, my philosophy on photography just in general is that any subject has the potential to be beautiful. Okay. You know, like if, if you, if you want it, if like, if you care about it yeah, or if you want to, to see, if you want to see the beauty in it, you can find it if you look. And then sometimes it's not there, you know, like yeah. it, sometimes you just strike out. But if you're looking, you're more, you're more likely to find those, those things. Right. What do you look for when you're out walking around or you're at an event or any situation? Like you said, you have a camera. Have you just developed an eye for things that people might be able to relate to that has a story like that? Is that just come through experience or are there certain elements or characteristics that you keep an eye out for that like, oh, there you go. It's a great question. I mean, that certainly exists, but I think that what is probably a more apt thing to call it is a database. You know, I just have okay. a, a, a very deep database of context of what, you know, what kind of photos that the clients buy in, in, mm-hmm. in different situations. So like if I'm in one situation that, that my random access memory <laughs> goes into the database and says, oh, hey, you know, I, I, I've seen other subjects like this work and this one happens to be special so and the lights there and sometimes you can find something amazing in crap light too the light's not there otherwise amazing do you still take the photo or yeah does it not i might still out? try okay. um but i mean there I, there's definitely times where it doesn't try i mean i think that at some point when you're doing that in that context, like once you do it enough, you know, if you're working in the same area, like in the same buildings, uh, same environments enough, then you start to just know, like, you're like, I have a window right now, you know, like the sun might be going down. It's like, uh, one of the places I work at it a lot is, is a huge glass building. Oh, Uh, so there's, there's just, tons of ample light you know and uh so certain times of year it's just it's a it's stunning and then other times of year it's it's the worst thing that you can imagine like in the winter it's it's horrible because here at night most of the street lights are sodium vapor so they're that like iodine orange color that just doesn't work in photos right yeah it's probably the worst quality light that i can imagine (laughs) and that stuff just seeps in and so like i use a flash for everything during those times i was talking with um katie my previous guest and she talked to she's a freelance graphic designer and she talked a little bit about like having to be humble you know having to go with what the client wants even if you think yeah something else might be better but it's about the client you know it is always about the client and sometimes it goes your way you know um just this past weekend i got to do 
a shoot with a band that I've been a fan of since, since I first moved to DC. And they were one of those bands that really made me think that there was something happening with our local thing. And I was, I was a fan then I'm a fan now. And he, he continues to make amazing music in his new band. And, uh, you know, I've been really humble over here in the corner, just kind of waiting to see if he'd ever notice, yeah. you know, cause I, I just wasn't ever going to go like, Hey, you know, I, th- I think you should hire me. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I was just always kind of like, I'm just floating over here. And if you happen to notice, then, then that'd be cool. And like, yeah. we've, you know, we've run into each other over the years in various functions just randomly. And we became friends slowly and, uh, cool. and legitimately, you know, like yeah. not something that was weird and forced. And yeah. finally he had a project and he was like, Hey, we're doing this thing and it's kind of crazy. And I think that you should be a part of it. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it couldn't have been any more desperate. It was awesome. <laughs> Um, but the, the really wonderful thing about it was that we went into the shoot and he told me what the idea was and really what it was is it was, you know, he just wanted me to shoot, uh, stills for a music video that they were producing while they're making it. So like I would be shooting behind the, the, the cinematographer and and around just, you know, and, and so it wasn't like you're going to direct it, you're going to set it up, Mm -hmm. you're just going to take shots and we'll see what happens. Mm -hmm. And the thing was that he said, look, I trust you and I'm not going to tell you what to do at all. I just want you to do whatever it is that you think is right. And I was just like, could have cried, you know, I was just <laughs> like, thanks. Not only do I get to work with somebody that I've been wanting to work with mm-hmm. for a long time, but now you're like, I trust you and you get to do whatever you want. That's right. Really and then cool. I did it. And this was only the test shoot, but everybody in the band was like, these are amazing. And you know, it was just good. such a cool thing. Yeah. Sometimes if you just keep doing what you do, the, those good things would come around to you. you know? Yeah. So to kind of take the conversation back to stock photography a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, you had mentioned Stocksy. You'd mentioned you're an editor. Can you just like explain what Stocksy is for people who aren't so familiar with stock photography, how it's different from like other agencies, you know, and then like what your job within the company is? So as it, as it stands, there are uh, very many stock photo agencies out there because we all exist on the internet. Anybody with a little bit of venture capital can do it. That makes it sound easier than it is in reality, of course, but I mean, it's, it's out there to grab. And um, well, it sounds incredibly difficult because if you have, you know, some money for servers and some guys to run it like, Oh yeah, I can totally start this. So then you have like a lot of competition. Then you have the problem of standing out. Like what makes your agency better than or different from, you know, other places. Wow, I couldn't have led up to it any better than that. Thank you. Um, that's really the that's that's the deal be, behind Stocksy. I mean, there's so many agencies, big and small, and the big ones kind of rule the, rule the roost. You know, they uh, they get to push other people around. They they buy them out all the time. They undercut them. Uh, they provide deals with their corporate clients that other people can't provide. Mm. Uh, they basically, you know, they make it really, really hard for anybody else to get in the game. Yeah. Uh, but that certainly hasn't kept a lot of other people from trying. I've now been in this since uh, 2006 is when I started selling stock. Okay. I started with iStock Photo. And that's actually, that's how I met Tyler originally. Because mm-hmm. Tyler was uh, working at iStock Photo and a, and a photographer there. You know, I kicked around there for a good while and, and ended up becoming moderately successful there. And things were going pretty well. And then, you know, the, the thing about it was that Getty kept getting bought and sold by different uh, investors, different investments groups. And What's uh, Getty's you know, relationship with iStock at that time? Was it like the parent company? Yeah. So Getty bought iStock okay. in 2006. So okay. it was actually the same year that I started. But the I guess the deconstruction and then reconstruction of iStock under Getty um, took, a, took a long time. The, the group of people that are the contributors there were very vocal and very invested. And it was just such a, a robust community. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just an amazing community, to be honest with you. It was so inspiring. And even though the photography, by and large, was really dumb, <laughs> it was also really inspiring. You know, like we were we were all doing just the most ludicrously stupid <laughs> you can imagine, you know. And, and, the, and the weird thing was, is that. The more outlandishly dumb it was, like if the production value was good, 
it's sold. And, you know, like I knew people that were making six figures that wow. like, if you see their work today, you'd be like, what? <laughs> you know, like how, how, who bought that? You know, and the question remains, I have no idea. I couldn't tell you who bought that. But to this day, there are images of me even that I took of myself, just self portraits I did in my studio that are still showing up every day. I have people share them on Facebook and they're like, Hey, there you are again. <laughs> And it's and these are like decade old images. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Was it just that there was less photography on the internet at that time, maybe, or at least royalty free stock? That's very astute of you. Uh, So yeah, I mean, the way that stock kind of unfolded is just kind of a quick primer, I guess. It was before the internet. You know, stock did exist, and what happened was that they had collections that that you could buy from a disc curator would put together a like a book and that book would have you know a series of discs on different subjects okay so a client would say like oh yeah i want that series of discs and that discs that disc when you bought that that book it was it cost a fortune and then like you could use those those images for a certain license you know it came with a certain license right i believe that's how it worked i didn't know what was going on at that time sure but I found out about all that because my roommate, he was he worked for uh, an organization that bought stock photos. So he had some of these books and I was like, <laughs> I'd look through it. And I was like, he's just like, hey, if you ever need some, you know, when I first started, he's like, if you ever want some inspiration for photography, I have these. <laughs> and I looked at them and I was like, that is not inspiration. <laughs> like, this is like... It's, this is an abomination, uh, but that's what it was, you know, like back then, you know, like, uh, I remember the, the books, like right when I started fo- photography back in 2000, 2001, you know, the, the all the, like how to make it books uh, in, as a photographer, like they, they, they'd mention stock almost offhandedly mm-hmm. and they, they'd say it like, you know, don't even, don't even consider getting into stock unless you have 50,000 slides ready to go wow. from the get go. And it was like 50,000 slides. It would take 10 years to get there. Yeah, you'd think. And then the the thing that that, um, that occurs to me now through all my experience is just like, man, that must have been a lot of really low rent photos, you know, like just half-ass bad photography. Mm. And then there were some gems in between, yeah. but a lot of it was really bad. Yeah, to get to 50,000 in any reasonable time frame. There would have to be a lot of bad ones. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think even just comparing it to, to what, what you see now, you know, in stock photography, there's some of the best photographers in the world do stock. And yeah, I mean, just back then, you know, there were some greats too, but you mm-hmm. know, the, the people who are really super into photography weren't doing stock. Photography um, and, is an art all, form, right? Yeah, that's right. Versus that's right. They look down on stock photography because they're they think that stock photography is like pulling the whole thing down artistically. Absolutely. Yeah. I hear that stupid shit all the time. I don't agree with it at all. I mean, there are certainly parts of it that, mm-hmm. that that's true, but it, that if you look at the whole thing in that, in that, from that perspective, then you're kidding yourself. Yeah. The, the other side of stock. So there was those that, that were like the, the generalist collector photographers that went around and, and created this, this, stock that that existed yeah. but really where it started was assignment photographers that would have a bunch of b-roll mm. that, that that would not get licensed by their client and they'd be like well I, I you know i own the rights to this and i could do something with it so i wonder if somebody else might want to purchase it so that's where stock came from and then you know but it was all rights managed and not royalty free oh, okay. um, and royalty free didn't really exist until sometime in the 2000s i guess and you know Places like iStock really created the model, microstock. You know, mm-hmm. it was like all of a sudden it was like an affordable thing where you could get a crappy photo for a dollar rather than for five hundred dollars. Yeah, right. So it's a big difference. Um, yeah, it's a big <laughs> yeah. difference, and it really it democratized the industry because then all these people that had been doing it that had built up a kind of a you know safe monopoly, um, all of a sudden they had challenge. Uh, competition from every direction you can imagine because everybody had a camera yeah you know and then when iStock came on it was literally anybody could apply and most people got accepted yeah so you had tens of thousands of of moms that you know were just you know they they had cameras and and they were 
you know, they just happened, you know, nobody knew it, but they were brilliant photographers. Oh, interesting. You know, they were taking these amazing lifestyle photos of their kids and nobody realized that that was going to end up being worth a fortune, but it is, or it was. Yeah. <laughs> Moving forward, iStock, you know, at one time was kind of a beacon of light for, for a lot of people, you know, cause it was like, oh, here's a, here's a way for anybody, literally anybody to, to make money. And it wasn't so big at that time that you couldn't get your stuff seen. You mm -hmm. know, those microstock collections now are so big uh -huh. that, and you also, there's a lot of people in there that are actually very, very talented. And so, you know, they've dialed in exactly what the clients might want from that marketplace. Mm -hmm. And they're producing that stuff hand over, hand over fist. So like mm -hmm. they, it, to, in order to compete in that marketplace, it's extremely difficult. Basically what had happened is that all of these bigger agencies started to undercut the photographer. Ugh. And, you know, we specifically at iStock, a lot of us started to see our income just get slashed month after month, year after year. For you personally, was that a big part of your income at the time? Yeah, it was. And I, I, I was investing so much time and energy and money yeah. into creating content for it and started to, to feel the, the pains of uh, diminishing returns and just right. like a, uh, and I, I felt like a hamster, you know, yeah. just going in circles and not getting anywhere. And then that was in uh, 2013. Things were just, they had reached a, uh, a point where it was, it was starting to feel desperate. Then I got an email and it was from Bruce Livingstone, who, who was the founder of iStock, who sold iStock to Getty. And, you know, it was like, you're invited to come and join Stocksy and this is who we are. And you know, I got that email and like, I was so desperate that I was like, awesome, I'm going to, I'm going to go now. Um, and what made that a big deal was that me and a lot of other people like me were um, exclusive to iStock. Oh. And so in order to like artist exclusive, yeah. so like, even if we had, you know, everything that we did mm -hmm. that was going to be licensed as royalty free stock, that's the only place we could sell mm -hmm. it. And if we were caught, then we would get dinged and maybe even booted from the site. Yeah. And when you're making thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars a year in stock, yeah. like you know, you can't just get bumped off a site one day. Yeah, you know, like that's, that's super dangerous. Yeah, yeah. Just and you know, by this point, I was married and I did have a kid, yeah. and you know, things were changing rapidly. But I got that email and I started looking into it, and you know, I wanted to join right away, mm -hmm. but I kind of kicked around and, and thought about it. I did get accepted, and you know, before I press the button at iStock. Like I had to have conversations with my wife. Yeah. She said, no. Well, that's a huge decision that doesn't just affect you, obviously. So it's like, yeah, I mean, it was insane, but I felt so good about it that um, I actually just did it anyway. And she was pissed. And I'll <laughs> yes. tell you that like, you know, yeah, if, if, you're, if you're, if you're married or you're going to get married, this is just a PSA here. Just, just <laughs> don't, don't do stuff like that. <laughs> like, like it's such a bad idea. Like your, your wife could just kill you in the night. You know? <laughs> um, luckily she forgave me. And, yeah. but I mean, in that moment she was so livid and I had to sit down with her and I just looked her in the eye and I, I said, honey, you know, she's crying. Yeah. She's so upset. And I said, honey, I believe in this. And when have I not made it work? Mm -hmm. And she said, and she just looked at me very soberly and she said, no, you've, you've never not made it work. You've always, done whatever you needed to do to get it done. Mm -hmm. And, and I said, I'm going to do that again. And she was just like, okay, I trust you. And she's just like, but you better get to work. Yeah. That's a, <laughs> that's a tough, and the first, yeah. Oh, it was intense, man. The first couple months were so scary. Cause like, you know, I, I pressed that button, you know, I had 30 days to, to get my things in order. So like I started preparing all of that existing content that I had and, mm -hmm. and just, my, my idea was that I'm going to take the very best of, of it and put it on stock, yeah. see if they'll take it. And then um, the rest of it's going to go to all the other Microsoft places mm -hmm. like Shutterstock and Fotolia mm -hmm. and all that stuff. And all that content's still out there in all those different places, yeah. and I still get residual incomes <laughs> yeah. from that old content. So that's kind of cool. So you, so you had the images saved yourself to be able to do that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, did you just let your relationship with iStock die then or I did sure you like did, try yeah. to get out of it or 
I knew really well where I stood with iStock. Okay. And so, um, yeah, I, I cut the vine and mm. I didn't look back. Okay. I never submitted any more images yeah. to them. And, uh, you know, like even there were images that I created that I wanted to be for Stocksy, but they just weren't good enough, mm. right? So sometimes that happens, you mm -hmm. know, like maybe you, just, you do a shoot, you think it's going to be something and it ends up being not as good as you'd hoped. Mm -hmm. And Stocksy was supposed to be for something better. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm going to send this to everywhere else. And, but I didn't even bother with iStock mm -hmm. because they were dead to me. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. So it's really personal. You yeah. Know? I mean, when you've had a relationship with a company like that for, what was that seven years, you know? Mm -hmm. You get to know people there and yeah, I mean, I had a somewhat like family, yeah. you know, people that I went on, on trips with and met up to do shoots and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was, it was not an easy yeah. decision, but so yeah, I, I guess the, the, uh, the promise of Stocksy was so great that I had to do it. Yeah. You know, it just, it fit all of my personal ideals, my political ideals. It's just something that like felt like I had to do it. So what is some of that difference between Stocksy and, you know, iStock or the other micro stock? Like what is that something better about it? In terms of what, where it sits in the marketplace, Stocksy is, is kind of like a mid tier. The quality is, is, you know, we try to keep it premium, but we offer it for a price that's competitive compared to other people in our, within our quality tier. Okay. And the reason for that is because, you know, we want to, to be able to compete with the bigger agencies and really the only way we can compete is to keep our prices more reasonable. Yeah. But we're also, we're not paying any investors. So that was the big, that was the big thing was that Bruce funded it. You know, he said, I'm going to put a million bucks into this, wow. which is nothing. It's really nothing. Like if you compare that to the tens of millions that have been invested into Unsplash, that okay. doesn't even have a profit model, it's really nothing. It was shoestring budget. Wow. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's a laughable budget is what it is. When you realize what it takes to run a company, I mean, think about a million dollars and how many, how many, how much talent do you think you could buy for a million dollars for the first year? I have not even the slightest scale, sense of scale. None. Like, it's brutal. Because, I mean, you think about rent and you think about salaries, you know, like how many people do you think that you can, you can satisfy for a million dollars? And then, that, you know, that was just startup, right? So like that had to, to pay for all the initial everything and everybody was not getting paid much. You know, everybody was just doing it for the cause. Mm -hmm. But the, the, the beauty of it was that the whole idea, the, the, the carrot for the creatives to come over was that this is going to be a co-op and not just a corporation. Okay. So what does that mean? Yeah. It means that the, that the members own the thing. The members are the owners. The members all get a share. And so they, that share entitles everybody to is, is a vote. Uh, so whenever you know, oh, we, you know, when, when we want to change the direction of how things are going, members of the community are able to create resolutions that then everybody votes on. If the, if the resolution passes, it, it becomes a part of the roadmap and we change everything. Wow. So, you know, we've done that to change the royalties in the past. Uh, you know, we realized that, that we were paying ourselves as artists too much oh, wow. uh, okay. and that it was limiting. It was actually limiting our ability to, to grow the business because the business wasn't able to make enough money to reinvest yeah. into, into growing. So that was one resolution that the That's artists That's interesting because... Isn't it? <laughs> usually, when I think of large groups of people or reasonably sized groups of people making decisions, it's not usually such long-term thinking. No, they make the they usually make the, the greediest short-term right, decision exactly. possible. So that's impressive. And it says a lot about the community. Yeah. And it says a lot about the people. I mean, because, you know, every another great thing about Stocksy that, that nobody would be able to know um, that's not involved is that the forums there, they're not the most active that I've ever been a part of. Um, they're certainly nowhere near as active as the iStock forums, but there's some smart people in there, you know, smart business people that really know what they're doing. And we've never censored a post, you know, from an ad admin perspective. Okay. So because it's co-op, there's just, you know, if people say awful things, like they're going to have to deal with their peers, you know, because the, as administrators, we're not going to go and slap anyone's hand. It just doesn't feel 
like it's the right way to, to govern it because then it could easily get out of control. So yeah, the, the, the members in a lot of ways have, have a lot of pull and I really liked that. You know, mm-hmm. it was something that really appealed to me because I had watched so many really terrible decisions happen at iStock and I saw how badly it affected all these people that, that I knew and loved and it was, it was overwhelming and I was angry Yeah, and I, you know, I was willing to, to take a pay cut to, to try something that was more egalitarian or something, you know, right. it just felt just fair. more ideal in a yeah. way, more democratic yeah. too. And in some ways that can, that can hurt you too. So, I mean, you know, you're only as good as your brain trust, mm-hmm. right? But that's, that was the thing is that, you know, we were going to start this and we were going to reach out to the people that we thought were, you know, going to be the best people to work together. For contributors or for yeah. everything, for staff, yeah. everything? Well, yeah, mostly for contributors. I mean, we've hired a lot internally in terms of staff, you know, like my entire team is made up of, of contributors. Okay. How did you get, well, you started as a contributor when he sent you yeah. an email. <laughs> so I got really lucky, I guess. Oh. Um, you know, like when I first started, or I guess before we went live, the then director of content, uh, Nuno Silva, invited me and about 10 other people to, to go onto a Google Hangout and do what he called Lightroom Jam Session. <laughs> okay. And... What everybody's, you know, what everybody had to do was share a raw photo okay. with the group. And then we would all go and you could edit one of somebody else's photos or you could edit all of them or whatever. It didn't matter. Yeah. And then we would go into this, these jam sessions and we would look at all the photos and then decide which ones we wanted to talk about. And then whoever processed that photo would speak. Mm-hmm. And, you know, me being me, I processed all of them. And <laughs> diving all the way in. I'm just like that. Yeah. I, I play for keeps, I guess. <laughs> I don't, maybe I'm a little OCD. <laughs> yeah. But I, uh, I, I did all of them. And then, you know, like I, I went in and I talked about all the moves that I made and, and I, I guess I, I had gained some fans in that moment. Like a lot of people were like, Oh my God, I just, I feel like I just did like a Lightroom tutorial or something. <laughs> and I was just like, I didn't even know I knew that much, you oh. know, frankly. Yeah. <laughs> so I was just really excited that other people thought that that was cool. Yeah. Um, and I didn't realize that I was going to end up getting a job because of it. But So that um, was the yeah, defining you know, moment. I, I guess, uh, you know, like, so it was probably a week or two later, uh, you know, I'd, emailed me and said, can we talk? And then, you know, and he was all cryptic and weird about it, you know? And then, so I, I, I got on this call with him and I was really nervous. Yeah. It's like, like or be called to the principal's office or something like that. It's like, sort I of. thought that I'd already screwed something up. Ah! You know? like, and I was just like, if I already, you know, like put my foot in my mouth or, you know, cause I mean, if you follow me on Twitter, you, you, you clearly know that I'm, I'm outspoken. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, like I, I just say what's on my mind. Yeah. I, my entire life is on my sleeve, mm-hmm. you know? So, you know, I, I was, I was nervous, you know, and he's just like, so, Hey, uh, I was wondering if you maybe want to come and work for us. And I was just like, uh-huh. get out of here. It was just exactly the perfect thing that needed to be said to me at that time. Because yeah, I mean, I was freaked out not knowing if I was going to be able to pay the bills. Right. Yeah. Cause this is right after leaving iStock your, you know, whatever amount of your income. And yeah. Yeah. So I was the first editor to get hired after the opening. There was one other guy, Ivar Tennyson, who still works with us. He's not an editor anymore, but still works mm-hmm. with us. You know, but I was the first person hired at that point, and uh, I was I was paid twelve dollars an hour. <laughs> mm, yeah, <laughs> doing it for the cost. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it was you know, and it was like better than nothing. And, yeah. and like I thought, okay, well, I can do this in my spare time. Mm-hmm. My son was was at home with me most of the time, and like I would. I would work when I could. Yeah. Training was, was rough because, you know, I had to, to manage things, but my mom, my mom came in and helped That's awesome. during that time. So that was cool. Uh, so I was able to get, get going yeah. and then get a flow. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, um, eventually I got a raise yeah. and, or we actually changed the pay structure altogether, but it, it, it changed dramatically, mm-hmm. you know, went from 12 to, to like a job, to like a salary kind of thing. And, no, nah, it was, it was pay as you go. It was kind of like, get, you know, cause I'm a contractor, you know, so oh, I get paid okay. for the, for the work that I did, Okay, you know? but I was able to do a lot of work, Yeah, you know, within a certain amount of time. So I was, I was uh, making more money than they wanted to pay me <laughs> to be frank, you know, in the first couple of years, but there was no choice. I mean, we needed the content. So they were like, 
you're making too much money already. And I was just like, yeah, but I'm doing the work. Yeah. You'd have to pay three people to get this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it worked out. And then, uh, the evolution kind of just happened naturally. I ended up becoming a senior editor when we, you know, and I was given the, the job, the task of hiring more editors under me. Okay. Eventually became the content manager. And then now I'm the director of artist relations. So wow. I run the whole department. That's yeah. awesome. That's so cool. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things where it's, you know, you, you have to pinch yourself a lot and, and kind of ask, you know, like, how did I, how did I get here? And, and what would somebody have to do to get here? You yeah. Know? Like what would somebody have to train for to get here? And like, there's no, there's no direct path. There's no roadmap. No. Which is kind of good in a way. Cause it's, you know, it'd also be difficult to replace me. Um, job security. You know, somebody could do the job, but they'd have to do it entirely differently. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's really cool. But you know, the, what else do you want to know about stock? I, I kind of got carried away. So when you got started with stock, like you're talking about those albums, a CD of discs with the crazy photos mm-hmm. and stuff, stock had a bad reputation. Well, actually you're going back, you're going back before they got the really bad reputation. So okay. back then it had kind of like a, it was a kind of a low brow, but high entry reputation. Okay. Whereas then when, when it got to, um, when iStock and Shutterstock became big things, that's when it got really low. Know, started to get a really, really, yeah. So it was like, just like these really either bad photos, like just not interesting, like an apple on like a white background or whatever. Mm-hmm. If you have like a office business person, it's like just crazy <laughs> expressions or just way over dramatically acted or whatever. So mm-hmm. you, when you came into stock photography, um, like how did you do it more creatively or better or differently or more aesthetically pleasing? So you like stood <laughs> out, you know, from being a just a isolated on yeah, like stock I, I, photographer. My first comment is it didn't. Oh. <laughs> I mean, well, you got I, to that place that, though. You got to that place. Yeah. When I, when I started in stock, when I got accepted to iStock, I was still shooting film and I was, I was laboriously scanning them on a, on a, this Minolta scanner that, that, you know, in order to scan the very largest resolution, you know, it would take like 40 minutes per, per image or something like that. Wow. So I mean, it was like, it was this crazy long that process and that's how I got started. Crazy. And, you know, I was just submitting my, travel photos first and they were not very good and you know it was just whatever but then um i when i finally bit the bullet probably six months into it and bought my first digital which is the d80 and uh nikon it coincided actually i bought it because of two reasons i was i was taking a a studio lighting class in the college it was one of my last classes to take for my degree and i thought like well i need to to shoot digital if i'm going to do stock Right. Mm-hmm. But I still like when I, it, at that point I still loathed it, you know, like I, I would go and look at the photos on iStock and I was just like, Oh my God, you know, and just thought it was just, just the most trite shit that I'd ever come across. Excuse my language. <laughs> and I was just like, I don't know how people get inspired to do this, but I was desperate and I was like, I need to find a way to make money. Right. And the thing was, is that I got my first download and I made 33 cents. <laughs> That's encouraging, right? For me, it was like I got bit by some bug. Oh, really? You know? Like it was like, yeah, because I was just like, it works. <gasps> and, yeah. you know, like it True. might seem insignificant, but yeah. like I did not have a high uh, self-evaluation of my photography oh. at all. Like I knew that I wasn't where, I knew that I was bad, you know? Mm. Like I might not have been like really horrible compared to, you know, like the broader scope of everybody mm-hmm. you know like i had something mm-hmm. but i hadn't refined anything and i was just not good and i knew i needed to work on it and so like just getting even that 33 cents at that point was like okay something could happen and god it took me like a month to get my next 33 <laughs> cents you know like it was so awful but um you know, I just, I really just started pouring in the effort. And what I did is, you know, I took that class, you know, and I didn't learn anything in that class, but, um, I didn't, I really didn't, I didn't learn, you know, it's hard to learn something when there's, you know, 20 other kids trying to do the same thing at the same Mm. time, you know, it's just doesn't, it's not a very conducive learning atmosphere. Mm. And I didn't know any other photographers. So I didn't, you know, like anybody that I could go and work with. So, you know, it was at that point that, you know, I bought that digital and it just so happened that, that this guy, 
you know, we found him sleeping in his car in front of our house and we didn't know who he was. And it turns out he was a friend of one of our new roommates that we hardly knew, but he was like passed out in his front seat in his, in his car because his girlfriend had kicked him out of his house and the homeowner, my, who was my best friend, uh-huh. just being the guy he is, invited him to come live with us. Oh. Even though he didn't have a job, which is weird. Yeah. But he was a photographer and oh, he had okay. an alien bee. Okay. And and he needed money. <laughs> so he sold it to me for like a hundred bucks with a softbox. And that was that was that. Yeah. So now I you know, I, I almost in the same week I had I had a light and I had a digital camera now. And so, so that opened up a lot you know, more. I was like, yeah. So I was like, all right, and I'm going to learn all of it. And that's what I did. I set out to, and I, I tried all the things that I saw in stock. And I even had some people get mad at me because they're like, you know, you're, it feels like you're copying my thing. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm, I really don't care about, you know, like, I'm really sorry mm-hmm. if I did that. I'm just trying to learn, Yeah. you know, and I'm, I'm doing these things as I go. And like, you're right. That was, you know, I shouldn't have stepped on your on your thing. The truth was, is that like there were a hundred other people doing the exact same thing. So like, you know, it wasn't something I could be like too bummed out about, but I think the problem was that he was the one that did it better than everyone else. Mm -hmm. And I was getting too close. And so you ask like, what was your thing? And the, the, I guess the, the thing that I had was, um, a proficiency with using light, you know, I could, I could light, I got to the point, you know, I had, I had a, a, a kit. I had lots of lights. I, okay. If you counted, if you counted like my studio lights and my um, speed lights, I had six lights at one point. Wow. And I would I would find ways to use all of them. <laughs> that sounds really and, complicated. You know, it is, but it was so much fun. It was like it's like some crazy math equation. And really, what what ended up launching it is that I I got a job working for a, a theater, and I started creating their their posters. Oh, okay. Um, for the shows. And that was super fun. And it was a huge challenge. And like, they never knew what they wanted to do until we got there. <laughs> so, so you had to be prepared. Um, I would, yeah. So I bought a Pelican box and I just carried everything with me. <laughs> and like, I, oh, you know, I, I loved solving the problem. Yeah. It was a hit. It was a huge hit. If you believe them, they said it transformed their business, you know, because it, all of a sudden they had these photos yeah. that, that were competing with the best theater in town. And I was like, sweet, pay me more. <laughs> <laughs> that makes you feel good at least. Yeah. It made me feel great. Yeah. Well, the thing was that what I got them to do is I got everybody to agree to sign model releases. So oh, I started licensing yeah. those, that some of those outtakes of stock and it was so stupid. <laughs> I mean, cause if you think about like a theater production poster and just how contrived and like over expressed yeah. they are, I mean, they're ridiculous. Right. But, they were also done well. It was done. The lighting was slick. Yeah. Right. And so at that time at iStock, they had this collection called the Veta Collection. And uh, it was a lot of slick photography or slick processing. Yeah. And it got a high price tag and it went nuts. And all of us that were that were involved in that collection made a lot of money. Awesome. <laughs> and we made money doing really dumb stuff <laughs> like i i have photos out there that that have my name on them that are so embarrassing oh. <laughs> they're so bad but at the same time i was also trying to be a, you know a real photographer a respected photographer i guess and so when stocksy came you know it really it, that was kind of the catalyst for me to to stop doing the dumb stuff you know i realized that no longer i didn't i didn't have to do it and not only did i not have to i wasn't welcome to do it mm. You know, that wasn't going to fly. Yeah. Stocksy's aesthetic right from the get-go was like clean, natural, authentic, cutting edge, edgy, hot. It had to be the best of whatever it was, you know, or else we wouldn't take it. Because that's how you're competing. That's your competitive edge in the marketplace that's where right. you sit. That's right. You know, anybody can go look at the collection and find examples of where that completely falls on its face. You sure. Know? Over the course of time, you know, like, perspectives even change you know like what we thought was was really good in 2013 now looks ridiculous well, yeah because taste changed like so fast yeah and then you know and in stock i i see new people all the time constantly cull their their portfolios you know because they're just like oh i'm embarrassed by that mm-hmm. photo now and it's just like no 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 no, just leave it like just don't this is not gonna define you yeah you know like this is your stuff this is meant to be your like this is what's extra Mm -hmm. 
and take it, you can be really proud of all of mm-hmm. it. And it can also be very good, but there's no point in, in, in calling. And well, I mean, I guess there's some, there's, there's some lines where, it, but just in general, I'd say that like, don't get overly ambitious about culling your work. You well, know? stock is such a numbers game too. That's right. Like you've got to have maybe not 50,000, but you've got to have, I don't know, what would you say? Like 10,000? Between five and 10,000 is the range where you can start to actually provide, you know, a life for yourself. I don't think you can support a family for under 10,000, not in the States at least. Yeah. That's an interesting goal to reach. You have to, you have to hustle in a different way now. Like a lot of, that's actually a a big problem with stock photography and, and particularly in the States is that the old the old model for for doing stock for stock creating stock for stock is is not doesn't work anymore like the you know the the cost of production is often so high that you're you're not going to make your money back quickly enough to be able to to make it work you have to hustle and find unique ways to do that and i've certainly found unique ways to do that and i counsel photographers every day of the week at stocksy about how to do that Mm. It's not easy. It's a game. Yeah. And, you know, like you have to, it's a very serious game. You know, it's like, it's life or death chess. <laughs> I mean, not to a put a, to any pressure on it or anything. It's hard. The truth is, well, it just depends on how you want to roll. Like, you know, we, it's Stocksy, you know, I'm going to talk about Stocksy just in general, just because that's my, my largest sphere of influence, I yeah. guess, or experience. But you have all types of photographers at Stocksy. You know, there are people who treat it as a hobby and, you know, just happen to be talented as, as a hobbyist. Mm-hmm. They come up with a cool image once in a while and submit it and cool. And then you have people who take it very seriously, um, but maybe they don't have the, the, the sharpest ideas or like they don't have the whatever it is to, to compete with the, the bigger fish in, in the mm-hmm. pond. But it's still okay because they're still making money and it's not their first job. It's not their second job. You know, they're making side cash and it helps them buy better cameras. You know, I can feel that, you know, that's, that's inspiring to a lot of people. That's, you know, what it was for me in the beginning, you know, it was just, I would take my earnings and and reinvest it into a new lens. Mm -hmm. You know, that's all I did with my money until I started making real money, you know? Yeah. When, I think after it broke a thousand dollars a month, that's when my wife was like, "Okay, yeah." I, <laughs> like, once it gets to a certain thresholds, like this is not your play money; this is now income. Exactly. And then you have a a, a smaller percentage of people that it's that is their full time gig. It's doing stock photography, and man, those people are serious. They live and breathe it, and like every word that comes out of your mouth, like that's business to them. You know, like you, you better know what you're talking about and you better give it to them straight, you know, cause they're like, it, for them, it's life and death mm-hmm. really literally, well, yeah. or it's at least or mortgage and street, I guess is another way of putting yeah. it, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of different ways that you can, that you can get involved with it, but if you want to, if you want to make it a full time thing, it's, it's really stressful and it's really challenging. But on the other side, it's also very fun. I've always defined it as, as being like playing a video game, you know, you, you reach achievement levels, you know, <laughs> like you get rewarded when you do something well. Yeah. And you know, yeah. it's that mindset. I've always been really into video games. So that, that mindset kind of, uh, once I placed it into that, that mindset, it became fun for me and it was a challenge. It was something that I was willing to invest a lot of time doing menial tasks to get to where I, I got. So if you play a video game like Minecraft, mm-hmm. you know, and you play it on creative mode, mm-hmm. um, that's the kind of game where like, if you're going to do anything cool with it at all, like you have to invest an incredible amount of time. Yeah. I and made a blimp it, one time you know, and it took me like four hours. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Like it, it's, it's insane. Like how much time you're willing to just throw away yeah. into something that is, that is not tangible and doesn't have any kind of like real life payback. Like it might have an emotional immediate payoff mm-hmm. or maybe it's a stress reliever or something yeah. like that uh that's what stock was for me just entirely it just became kind of a game it just happened to be real life and you only had one man <laughs> but it <laughs> does know, pay you back over time yeah if, if you if you're smart i think the really important thing is is to not be insane how so don't do the same thing ex- every time expecting a different result. oh yeah 
just from the the perspective of my job, I see people do that all the time. And there's certain people that I, I've tried to get through to over the years constantly and try to give them, you know, pep talks about different ways to, to engage with their work and different steps to take and they'll do it the exact same way forever. Is it the, is it kind of like shooting the same subjects all the time, same kind of subjects or lighting them the same way or same angles, like all these things? All of yeah. that. Lots of people do that. And then, you know, there, you have an equal amount of people who you give them just a little nugget of feedback and like just fireworks explode in their head. And all of a sudden they come back and they're, they slowly transform into something amazing. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, uh, so it, it's all just depends on, on the individual and what you're willing to, to invest in yeah. and, and what you're, you know, who you're willing to listen to and trust, yeah. you know, I think that it's, it can be a challenge for a stock photographer to listen to an editor from any stock agency. As far as I know, Stocksy is the only one that like, that really interacts with the, with the contributors, yeah. like on a real level, you know, like most places, like you can't even get through to anybody, mm -hmm. you know, but a lot of times I think that they see you as a, as a peer is a contemporary peer. You know, they don't see you as, is somebody that, that can teach them something in a lot of cases. They, they just, some people have this perspective that, you know, you're just like me and you're just judging me, uh -huh. you know? And like, I can't take your word for anything because you know, you're no better than me. It's just a weird perspective to take because obviously that person wouldn't be in that position if they didn't have something to offer. Right. You know, yeah. They'd run out of, let me just say this, every editor that I've ever had and, and hired and trained mm -hmm. has had moments and continues to this day of have moments of having imposter syndrome. Like, do I belong here? Yeah. You know, and they're constantly questioning that. And I constantly question it. But then when, you know, when you're put to the test and somebody asks you that really hard question and you have a good answer and you actually like you know, provide something of, of value to that, to that person. Mm -hmm. That's where you know that you've been tested and that, that you deserve to be there. But there are certain people that don't care. They'll never, they'll never hear that. Yeah. And yeah, it's fine. And it's totally fine. Everybody that is a member of Stocksy at mm -hmm. least is totally, it's, it's, it's their prerogative. Yeah. You know, they can either take the advice and, and do something with it, or they can do nothing with it and keep doing what they're doing. It's yeah. It's interesting that you talk about the, attitude of the photographer in that way, like seeing the editor as a peer contemporary. I've submitted not much of some stock photography. And when I get feedback from the editors from these microsites, you know, it's not like a real message or anything. It's like, nope, rejected for not in focus or whatever. It's a, it's a canned, it's a canned response. Feedback. Yeah. Yeah. And it's broad, right? Yeah. It's like, so. what? I, but I see like somebody like your editor is like somebody just like way above me at least. And maybe that's from my perspective of relative lack of experience in photography too. But yeah, the attitude of seeing an editor as you can't talk to me because you don't know anything like that's at least different than my perspective, at least. Well, you got to realize also that some, some people that have been doing stock have been doing it for way longer than any of the editors. That's true. <laughs> yeah. So sometimes they may be like, you know, you don't, how could you possibly know this better than I would? Yeah. Right. Completely disregarding the fact that there's a whole company supporting them. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, as an editor, you see a lot more, like a much broader range of photography, much broader range of information, I would assume, you know, like statistics on like what's selling, that kind of thing. So yeah. as an editor, you would have just way different perspective of what works than, you know, one photographer. Well, that's right. And that, I mean, that's, that's actually a key component to to why Stocksy is awesome is because we're not just looking at photos and subjectively saying this is good or bad. You know, like we're actually taking just enormous amounts of data and uh, looking at looking at every crevice of what's <laughs> happening and what's changing in in uh, marketing and uh, and ad work and okay, you know, yeah. like you know we we want to compete with you know we want to stand next to the best ads in the best magazines mm -hmm. and like not have there be no sense of, of a difference in, in quality. Yeah. You know, we want them to sit next to each other so seamlessly mm -hmm. that when our clients come to Stocksy, they just trust mm -hmm. and believe that, that they're going to find that, that level of quality for, for whatever subject. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when you think about how that, if you extrapolate that to, you know, 20 different categories, 
not all of those categories are going to have the same technical expectation. Mm -hmm. You know, some, some categories like have to be technically perfect. Mm -hmm. And then other categories can be like pretty close to shitty. As long as the, the, the photo itself expresses something within that category that makes it unique or special, Mm -hmm. you know, like we don't look at it. Like Microstock tends to look at, the, the technical quality over everything mm-hmm. else like they'll they'll take a like an amazing photo like an award-winning photo and decline it for being slightly out of focus mm-hmm. to me that's insanity like if it's an amazing photo who cares yeah. if it's slightly out of yeah. focus like it just doesn't matter if it's if it's like nailing the bullseye on every other point mm-hmm. and it has one you know like you know there's one like like a minor bit of JPEG artifacting or something like that. It's just like mention it in the description and move on. You know, like if that's going to really bother a client, just give them an, an opportunity to know it before they yeah. buy it, you know, put it on the label. Right. right? Um, truth in advertising. Right. You know, this, this has a lot of grain. This is really noisy. Mm-hmm. So what? Who cares? Yeah. If everything Sometimes else is Sometimes noise is beautiful. Yeah. yeah. It's about the the emotional impact of whatever the photo has. Mm-hmm. What is that moment? How unique is that moment? You know, especially for whatever the context of that that category or subject yeah. is. So a big thing with stock photography is commercial appeal. Like how well is this thing gonna sell for an ad or something? When you have a photo that is like a really unique moment, like it's unique. So it doesn't have a sort of I mean, would it have like a broad enough appeal to be able to be be used in an ad or wherever? Yeah, most definitely. Um, this is this is a big bone of contention for a lot of the more like commercially minded photographers because they see the more artfully produced photography and they go like, "What are you doing?" You know, as an agency, like, why are you pushing this? Mm-hmm. This is too avant garde or too abstract to be something that would be commercially viable. Yeah. And then, you know, like I, I'd say that's just utter horseshit. Uh, you can look through like through not, this is not like a, a new phenomenon. Like you can look through the ages at different ads and depending on the attitude of the brand, some brands are able to push in directions that nobody would expect. And it can be absolutely overwhelming in how much, how strong of an impact that can have if it's the right thing at the right mm-hmm. time. The general, the norm is the more commercially palatable thing. Right. You know, and the more like uh, aesthetically pleasing that thing, then the better it is for Stocksy. Yeah. But, you know, the, the, the truth is, is that the, the ads that, that, that shake everybody up and get their attention are the ones that completely go against the grain and shock everybody. And those are the ones that people talk about the next day after the football yeah. game, after the, the, the Super Bowl. Yeah. You know, they're like, did you see that commercial? You know, it's not the, the, the same one that you've, you know, it's not the Cialis ad that you've seen. You know, it's just like they got a new couple on the hill, you know. <laughs> right. It's not that, yeah. you know, like you can do that and it's reliable. You know, you're going to make money mm-hmm. doing that, doing the Cialis ads. <laughs> right. Plugging. I'm not plugging Cialis. Right. Guys. <laughs> Hashtag not an ad. But, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> but if you want to, if you want to strike people, like you have to, you know, you have to come at it from. And a, a different perspective that, that really reaches out and grabs somebody. If you put this into a context of music, who thought like Nirvana is going to be the biggest band in the world? Like before they were. Yeah. Nobody. Yeah. I guarantee it. Yeah. David Geffen had a feeling about <laughs> it. He was like, there's something to this. I feel that there's something to mm-hmm. it. But nobody would have looked at that band, this noisy, dirty, grungy punk rock band and thought, like these guys are going to be the ones to unseat everybody else. Like nobody saw that coming. It's because it was so visceral and so legitimate yeah. that that's why that it bowled everybody over and made everybody go, Oh, so yeah, that's what Stocksy is. Nirvana. <laughs> anyway, is this about me or about Stocksy? <laughs> that was a deep dive into stock photography for sure. Thank you. I, I think that there is a lot that, that can be made of it. And I think that, that there are some of the most talented and beautiful people that I know are stock photographers. Yeah, when people automatically just dismiss stock as some shitty and underserving thing, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it sucks. 
even from my punk rock background. This conversation with Cameron really shifted my own perspective on looking at the world and the potential of stock photography. Another idea that he's talked about in the Cameras or Whatever podcast is that there needs to be stock photography of everything. That includes the joys and the tears of life, and that needs to be captured so carefully and beautifully. That's a big challenge creatively if you're looking for one. And if you're into photography, I'd highly recommend the Cameras or Whatever podcast. It's one of my personal favorites. And I'd like to connect with you and see what you're into creating. My main platform of choice is Instagram at Live Life Creative Podcast. You can also like the Facebook page, search Live Life Creative Podcast. And if you've enjoyed the show, share it with a creative friend who you think needs to hear it. And rate and review the podcast on whatever podcast app that you're using, especially in the Apple Podcast app. Reviews and personal recommendations, those are kind of the top ways that any podcast grows best. So I'd really appreciate that. And if you really love the show and have a buck or two to spare each month, you can become a co-creator on Patreon. You're going to get the full back catalog of episodes there soon. I'm working on it. And it's kind of like a vote of encouragement to the creative community around you that you believe in supporting creators. You know, you can check out some more info. Go to livelifecreativepodcast.xyz. Tap the support button in the menu to find out more. I'm Dylan, helping you break down your barriers so you can live life creative. I thought I had another thought in my head, but I lost it. So Yeah, me too, man. I got to go put my kid to bed. <laughs> <laughs>